Welcome to Adapter's Advantage, breakthrough moments that lead to success. Our podcast brings you insider stories of the moments that mattered, turning points on the sometimes rocky road to success. Here's your host, Mark Magnaca, president and co-founder of Alego, the workforce training and readiness platform built for distributed teams. Hi, I'm Mark Magnaca. And on behalf of the Adapters Advantage podcast, I want to welcome my first guest, Colleen Stanley. Colleen is the president and founder of Sales Leadership Inc., a sales development firm. She's the author of two books, Emotional Intelligence for Sales Success, now published in six languages, and her new book, Emotional Intelligence for Sales Leadership, will be released by HarperCollins June 16th, 2020, which is very soon. Salesforce.com has named Colleen one of the top sales influencers of the 21st century. And as a point of reference, they have a lot of people to choose from. So that's a pretty meaningful distinction. She's also been named one of the top 50 in sales and marketing influencers, top 10 women in sales experts to follow, and top 30 global sales gurus. She's a guest lecturer on sales at Denver University, where she's introducing the power of sales IQ and sales EQ to young business professionals. Her clients include Harvard Business Review Poland, IBM, Gallagher, Otterbox, Home Advisor, and Bosch, Rexroth, to name a few. When Colleen isn't teaching, she enjoys living in the foothills of Colorado with her husband, Jim, where they're fortunate to take in the many outdoor activities the state has to offer. So welcome, Colleen. Well, thank you for having me, Mark. Delighted to be here. And as I mentioned to you, I, I know that part of Colorado where you're located and it's a spectacular part of the world. It, it we are very fortunate. This is a, a slice of heaven up here. Mm -hmm. Well, let's go ahead and jump right in. Um, Colleen, there's so many different things that you do. I'm always interested to hear your answer to the question. When you meet someone and they say, what do you do? How do you answer that question? So you're testing my value proposition right away. Is that, is that yes, correct? Yes, I am. Yes, you have to lead from the, the front here. In case you're listening. Uh, so the very, very short answer is we help companies drive sustainable revenues by integrating emotional intelligence skill training into their sales and leadership training processes, programs, infrastructure. So to dig a little deeper on that, Colleen, why as someone who's studied a wide range of sales philosophies and approaches, um, why did you conclude that this notion of emotional intelligence is such a critical part, both in terms of the hiring process, but also in terms of the managing, management process and really even what sets so many of the best salespeople apart? So I wish, Mark, I could give you this answer that I studied, I researched, I came up with the idea myself, which I did not. So um, it's like anything in life, it's uh, the power of the network. And I have a very good friend, Marty Lassen, and she and her business partner, Scott Helford, they've taught emotional intelligence in the leadership world for years. And so she was familiar with my work. And one day she sat down and she goes, you need to be bringing this into your sales training programs. I didn't even know what EQ stood for. Frankly, I had a lot of work to do on my own personal EQ, but as I studied it, that's when I went, this is literally the knowing and doing gap because I was very steeped, like a lot of sales speakers and consultants in the consultative sales process, solution sales, whatever you want to title it. Sure. But what I would often see as a teacher is, and I've seen, I'm sure you've seen this, Mark, because you've been in the business. Somebody can just demonstrate a beautiful role play, you know, when you're, you're doing a practice set with them. And then when they get in front of a live prospect, 
they buckle, they don't execute the right talk track or skills. So what I've learned over the years, it's the soft skills that help you with the execution of the hard skills. So I, I really stumbled on it, but then I became a student of it. And I, frankly, I'm, I'm a firm believer in it. For anybody that adapts, they're going to see a big change, not only personally, uh, but professionally, uh, just in life in general. Just while we're on the topic of, of EQ, what have you found has been the biggest aha that sales leaders come to when they start bringing EQ into the equation around hiring? So the biggest aha I see um, is when we actually have conducted an exercise in our sales management workshops. So it's kind of a fun exercise, Mark. You can imagine the answers we get. I will say, okay, uh, give me your worst hire stories. And I mean, they range, <laughs> I can't even tell you the stories we've heard. And so, you know, obviously I document it on a flip chart, whiteboard today and video conferencing. And here's what's always interesting. The missteps, why a salesperson wasn't successful it's never around, didn't hit quota, didn't, uh, didn't create enough opportunities, didn't ask enough questions. It's always about a culture misfit, bull in a china shop, uh, didn't take feedback well, they weren't a learner. And so what becomes very obvious for sales managers is they're not vetting candidates for the soft skills. They're very good at vetting candidates for the hard skills, which are important, industry experience, number of years in sales, uh, maybe level of expertise, you know, SMEs. And so that becomes the aha is that the reason the person isn't succeeding is often not because of the hard skills, it's because of those soft skills or culture misfits. That's such a great distinction because I can think of so many sales manager friends of mine who that exact dynamic, they've, they sort of followed the protocol of hiring a top performer from the industry who was well known only to later realize that that person thrived in a particular culture and now they're working for a company that has a different culture and it all of a sudden uh, it doesn't work. And you can think to yourself like, what happened to this person? But now there's an answer. Yes, it, you know, I, when I speak to particularly CEO groups or VPs of sales, um, I will ask them, how many of you um, believe that learning is important? How many of you have seen your business change in the last three months, six months in a year? All the hands go up, right? And so then I ask them the question, how many of you are vetting your candidates for their aptitude and attitude for learning? They're not. So here you've got this group of very busy people taking time out of their schedule to attend a conference or a session. They're obviously learners, but they're not vetting for learning. And it is clobbering them because to your point, you've got a veteran and they were really successful in this environment, but it might be new value propositions, new decision makers, all those training terms that we know, but if they're not willing to learn, change, and grow, yeah, you got a great resume, but it works over here. It doesn't work over here because of the lack of aptitude and attitude. And that's just one small example. Well, speaking of that, you mentioned when you first learned about this, that you personally had to uh, make some changes based on understanding more about EQ. So the question I have for you is, what drives you? What causes you to do what you're doing when you think about that through the lens of emotional intelligence? So there's a, a favorite quote I have, and it's from the late Maya Angelou. When you know better, you do better. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. So I was really lucky, Mark, that I probably didn't get fired <laughs> because I was the bull in the china shop. Yeah. And so I, I have actually, you know, I've stayed in touch with some of my very good early mentors. And uh, Klein Boyd is, is such a person. I said, I can't believe you guys sometimes put up with my behavior. And he's from Texas. And he goes, ah, Colleen, we always knew your intentions were good. Your methodology was a little. <laughs> and, and But, you know, so part of my drive is, I want people to learn these skills. Yes, I've had a lot of success, but I was pushing. I didn't know how to have the crucial conversations. I lacked emotion management. You know, I could escalate from zero to 100. And you can get a lot done that way. It's just that there's a better way. So I'm very passionate about teaching that better way. And and perhaps they don't have to get the bruise on my forehead that I, you know, had to put some ice on several times. So Colleen, we're going to move to virtual presentations in a moment, but that skill that you just described as a segue, you think we hear so much about being zoomed in and zoned out, right? And, and so this idea of actually helping people remember that in this culture where it's so easy for us to be addicted to our phone, that you cannot be giving someone else your full attention when you're checking your phone every two minutes, right? It's just... No, it's actually, where is my, uh, it's called right here. It's an adult binky. This is turned into an adult binky, Mark. And so (laughs) the only thing we're missing is the thumb sucking because we can't go anywhere without it. And so managers are sitting there and saying, yeah, let's have the coaching conversation, Mark. And what are they doing? Glancing, glancing, glancing. So we've gotten very good at being professional bobblers. Yes. And we all love the, you know, we've heard the term flow, right? And usually it's associated with athletes or great musicians. Well, when you're in flow, it means you're in focus. Yeah. And so I think the reason we don't achieve sometimes our highest level of masteries in whatever we're trying to accomplish, it it goes back to a little bit of focus, pay attention, be present, make a decision where you want to be. Because I found everybody wants to be everywhere, but where they are, right? (laughs) So they're in a meeting and what are they all doing? Checking email. They're in an online training. What are they doing? Checking email. So make a decision where you want to be. I want to talk about one of the biggest challenges that you've had to adapt to, namely post COVID-19, the move from uh, like so many other professionals who were booked for live speaking engagements all over the world that pretty much stopped for at least at this point, most of 2020. Mm-hmm. And some people have been able to pivot and, and some people haven't. What's been your approach in terms of how you've adapted to help your customers, many of whom already had you booked, uh, including Allego, by the way, who had you booked to come to our event that uh, literally was supposed to be happening um, just last month. So what is it that you're doing differently now to adapt? You know what I really did? I followed the change curve. And this is sometimes called the uh, grief curve too, you know, the Kubler-Ross. So I think all of us went through this. Shock, blame, denial, at the bottom going, are you kidding me? And then I I think this is the difference. Do you adapt and have the resolve to adapt? So again, it's making a decision. And so for many of us, we love the face-to-face training. We love the face-to-face, but you can stay in denial. It's going to come back. I'm positive of that because people right now are so, I mean, people are wanting community, right? Right. The fact is we can't do it. So you adapt. So we literally have uh, taken a bedroom in our house, 
gave that lovely bedroom furniture away and we've turned it into a training studio and we're still in the process of getting it set up. So I had my videographer come up. He's the one that's helping us with what camera we need, what lights we need, and we're going to be ready to go to create an environment that is as conducive to learning, interactive as it is in the classroom. So yeah, it took some decision. I think I was in denial, kind of depression going serious. Well, I, I have mastered the classroom training. Right. I mean, we've done that for 20 years. And you know what? If I've done that, I can do the other. Because right. I have the ability to learn. That has not gone away. Well, it's such an interesting point, Colleen, because the broader message, if you think about anyone listening right now, is this notion of resilience. And part of the growth mindset that you're evidencing here is just that, that attitudinal piece, right? So we did. I think so many of us went through those stages and then you get to the acceptance stage. Yes. You have to either decide, like, this is it for me, or I'm going to reinvent again. And um, the beauty of it is it probably won't take 20 years to master the virtual <laughs> side. No, it will not. I will assure you of that yeah. <laughs> because we don't have 20 years and neither do our clients. So, and I think there was also another side of this, Mark, because uh, many of our clients and hopefully everyone listening today has the same type of clients, but we are really fortunate. We have great clients. These are nice people. They're not arrogant. They're humble, but they also value relationships. So they were a little worried about, are you going to be as effective online right. as we've known you for the last 20 years? And so we've done some sample projects. We've done some pilots and a little bit, you know, uh, try before you buy. And you know what? Everybody's converting. They're all making the change. So, um, so I think it's been good to be sensitive to where the clients were. Don't try to overcome that objection right away. Acknowledge it and say, hey, it may not be as good as you thought classroom was, but our goal is it's going to be even better, but at least acknowledge their concern. So I think we've all had to meet our sellers, our clients where they are. It, just meeting people where they are emotionally is huge right now. That's right. Uh, yeah. And by the way, that's the, that's the way of the world. You know, the, if you think about this notion of adaptation as a species, right? How, how is it that we've adapted? We've learned, and then you either make the change or you don't, right? right. And that's, that's sort of kind of how we're hardwired. Um, so it doesn't diminish the fact that we sometimes have to go through the, the, the stages of grief for what we've lost, right? Mm -hmm. Even if it's temporary, but ultimately what we know is those people who can adapt, uh, it, it, it changes the outcome in a meaningful way. Right, and, and I think to an earlier point you made about hiring, this is where also when you're vetting your candidates, right? How many of you, I'd ask uh, sales leaders, CEOs, um, directors, uh, HR, whoever's listening today, how many of you are vetting those candidates for resiliency? The popular term today is grit, right? But it's passion, right. perseverance. And how many interview questions are really testing if this person can deal with, has dealt with adversity? Because sometimes by the time they get to be 22 or 24, if they've had helicopter parents, and I'm not trying to bash the parents, but if they've had somebody always making decisions for them, they've never taken any face plants, you know, dusted, gotten up, right. it's going to be pretty hard for them to be successful in sales and frankly in life because invariably you're going to run into some roadblocks there. So resiliency is a huge one to be betting your candidates for. Let me build on that, Colleen, with the, the three E's of emotional intelligence. I know you've written about this. So we've talked about it. Can you just uh, tell people what are the three E's of emotional intelligence and, and uh, why is it important? So the, the three E's, and there's other 
uh, EQ competencies, but I, I believe these are foundational. So the first one is emotion management, right? Because if you allow emotions to start running your conversations, start running your feelings, your thoughts, this is when you're going to probably show up in a fight response, flight response, or freeze response. So you literally can't execute the knowledge, the habits, and the skills that you know. That's, that's the beginning of the knowing and doing gap. But in order to improve your emotion management, you've got to improve the mega EQ skill, which is self-awareness, emotional self-awareness. And, you know, in the words of Socrates, know thyself, because that which you're not aware of, you cannot change, right? And that which you're not aware of, you're bound to repeat. So this is where you get on that sales durable wheel and you keep repeating the same leadership mistakes over and over, selling mistakes. I know this. I can yeah. write to this. Yes. And then the more other, so the more self-aware you get, Mark, tuning into your own emotions, what am I thinking? What's triggering me? Am I the trigger? I believe then you're able to tune into the emotional state of another human being. And that's empathy. Yeah. And empathy is a powerful influence skill because how can you possibly influence someone unless you know and care about what they're thinking or feeling? So those are my three E's, emotion management, emotional self-awareness, and empathy. And then that last piece of, of empathy, I love that around, um, you can't give somebody something you don't have. And mm -hmm. so in the same way, you have to take the oxygen mask on the airplane first to breathe before you give it to someone <laughs> right. else, right? It's true with this as well. Until uh, I'm tuned in to my own situation, it's very hard to pay attention to someone else's. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when you're, you, when you're tuning into your own emotions, this is where you're able to have a better conversation because if you really take the time to examine your emotions, I think all of us can say, oh, I'm angry. But if you examine it, you're not really angry, you're disappointed. Right. That's two different emotions. You right. might say you're frustrated. Well, actually examine it a little closer, you're feeling um, unappreciated, right? Mm -hmm. Or um, disrespected. Yep, so yep. if you can label the emotion the right way, then you're going to spot that emotion in another human being. And when you state, I get the feeling that what I just said sounded like disrespect. Wow. They're yeah. sitting there going, you get me. Exactly. That changes the conversation. You know, Colleen, it's one of the uh, best statements I learned from a mentor of mine. He used it on me and I've now used it so many times. And it's, it's the following. It's, you know, Colleen, the story that I'm telling myself about the interaction we just had is this. Yes. Is that true? And, and you know, when you just lay it out, because obviously that's what's happening. A, a certain thing happened. I've assigned a meaning to it. I've made up a story in my head that may or may not in any way be attached to reality, but to present it to you in that way and give you a chance to either say, well, that is actually what happened or no, you're completely off base. It's not that at all. Right. No. I found it to be a very effective strategy as it relates to applying that concept. Absolutely. And you know, this is something that's important, I think, for sales leaders to embrace, right? Because we're human beings, first and foremost, we are flawed, that's okay. And so you might be telling yourself a story about a seller and you're sitting there thinking, you know, this person doesn't want to put in the work of landing bigger deals, you know, all the pre-call planning, multiple meetings. Well, if you dig, so that's a story, right? So right. if you show up to that coaching conversation, with the idea that they're lazy, they don't want to put in the work, you're not going to show up very well. The seller's story is this. You know, the last time I showed up to a big office, big title, I didn't know the questions. I felt stupid. Uh, so fear 
It's right. fear is what you need to coach to. It's not laziness. It's not willing to put in the work. It's like, I just don't want to be in that situation again. So when you make up the story, you don't show up to the coaching conversation and you, you never move past the presenting problem. And Such so great point. this is the presenting problem. But boy, I will tell you, fear uh, runs a lot of uh, people's lives. And I think more than most sales leaders would even recognize. So that's what you got to coach to. You know, not, you, a, not a selling skill necessarily. It, it's so interesting the way that you just put that. It made me think, Colleen, of in the same way that a great doctor, going back to the doctor metaphor, what you are presenting with as a patient, you know, I have a pain in my knee. The, the obvious thing is, well, let's look at your knee. But it may in turn be something unrelated to your knee. The, the knee could be a reflection of a nerve or some other thing. And I think in the same way, the best managers have that capacity to not just understand in the example you just gave, gee, I, I noticed you seem to be a little bit uncomfortable going into this uh, corner office. Um, and then to be able to dig in a little bit and help the person come to the conclusion like, yeah, that is maybe where I'm feeling uncomfortable. Right. So it's a mm -hmm. wonderful validation when you have a manager who can help you see that. And that's generally where I see the best coaches and managers bring out the best in people that they couldn't necessarily bring out in themselves. Right. You know, there's a I think you know the presenting problem can also be looked at as the visible and the in, invisible. Yep. So the visible we might think we see and know, but there's a whole bunch of invisible there. You know, we talk, and this isn't a new concept, but I think it's an important one for managers to get very good at identifying and coaching self-limiting belief systems, right? And so we can again. I'm all about teaching skills. I love consultative selling skills, but you know, if they're not doing something, stop. Because there's a self-limiting belief. I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm young. I'm old. I'm tall. I'm short. And so until you deal with that story there, they're not going to execute all the great advice and solutions that you're sharing. So there's an invisible that we have to always be aware of. Uh, what, what do I need to really coach to? Work on the right end of the problem. I know that there is a belief system that uh, some young women, for example, that are in college have been exposed to, which is, well, I don't know that I'm really a fit for sales. I don't know if I'm, if I have the sales personality or they have a certain perception. So my question is, what do you, what's the most important thing that you tell women entering the sales world? And, and what, if anything's different in terms of what you say to them versus men? So there's a couple of things I've uh, found a consistent theme on. And one is the EQ skill of assertiveness, right? Mm -hmm. So we talk about get a seat at the table, right? Lean in, all right? And I'm all about that. But when you've got a seat at the table and you're leaning in, be prepared to be challenged. And it is okay to be challenged at the table, right? And so I guess because I grew up with four brothers, I... I luckily just, I leaned in. I mean, it was, <laughs> there was not a problem. It was survival of the fittest. I grew up in a family with eight kids, right? So I think there's the story you might tell yourself as you're sitting at the table and somebody is challenging you and maybe they're doing it in a very aggressive manner. That's not right. Be assertive and be comfortable stating your opinion. Mm -hmm. And so that's, if you're going to get a seat at the table, be prepared, you will be challenged. So yeah, having a point of view, what I'm hearing. And be very comfortable with it. And some people are saying, well, I'm afraid I'll be perceived as a, and I won't finish the sentence. No, that's not what they're perceiving you at. They're perceiving you. Like I've seen people 
there, there's contrarians out there. And the reason they're contrarians, they, they welcome a point of view. So they're not expecting you to buckle. They're expecting you to share the point of view. Well, here's my point of view. It might disagree with yours. Let's see if we can meet in the middle. So I, I find assertiveness is an important one there. And then watch the stories, okay? Because if somebody challenging me, are they challenging my point of view or are they challenging me as a woman? And there's going to be a, some people out there. There always is. But I have found I, I work a lot with men and I probably go at it just as much better. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably more aggressive than they are sometimes in a conversation. So anyway, so that would be one thing. I would say watch the assertiveness there. Um, I would also say for some, I remember having a conversation years ago and I had a woman come up and she said, you know, this work-life balance, right? And I mm -hmm. thought, oh, I am the worst person to talk to about this because I like what I do. I work way too much. Um, I don't have kids. And so I shared a story with her about growing up in a farm in Iowa. Okay. So my dad was a farmer, farm till he was almost until he passed away at age 90. And I said, let me explain farm life to you because doesn't it sound like green acres and it's just yeah. Nirvana. Here's the reality of farm life. Your father is in the field. Usually it's the father planting yeah. the crops two and three months, right? right. You don't see him. He's up early, uh, you put dinner in the oven at night, and you don't see him. And then fall happens, and right. so it's harvest. And here's what happens, Mark. There's snow, there's sleet, there's hail. It, something is preventing you from getting your crops in, hitting your sales goal. So you don't see your dad that much during those two or three months. Here's what does not happen on the farm. My mother did not sit down and say, children, are you okay? Your father is not here. It was just... This is called life, right? but we knew he was there. So I think, and this woman looked at me and she goes, thank you. So I think the idea of work-life balance is, you know, the, the kids will be okay. And in fact, uh, Cheryl Sandberg wrote about this in her book, Lean In. There is a stat in her book that shows that working moms spend more time than mothers that were quote full-time back in the 40s and 50s. And part of, part of that was the demographics. There was a lot of big families, right? Right, that's actually, of course. I mean, you mean in terms of time per kid, so to speak. Per kid, eight kids in our family. It was like, did you all make it to the end of the day? Anybody <laughs> bleeding? Great, let's go. Right, and the older ones you're usually helping out, right? So I would say to women that are managing that, and I'm not, so I do not even want to um, play that. Be a little kind to yourself the kids are going to be okay. I want to pivot to just one other example, uh, touching on uh, your background. Um, our, our head of sales at Allego was a former uh, Sandler franchisee, and mm -hmm. we're believers in the, in the Sandler philosophy. We've been exposed to lots of different philosophies that I, I liken it to almost to religion, um, that there's different different elements of, uh, and different stories and different rules within different religions, but you sort of pick one that, that works for you. So I know that for you, you were the first female associate to achieve the platinum award for sales results. Uh, how did you do that? Mentors. I had some terrific mentors. So I'd love to say it was all, now I worked really hard, Mark. I'm not going to take, I was at every bad networking event here in Colorado. I would speak to anybody that would listen to me free of charge. If there was a dog in the corner, I thought he could give me a referral. I would have given him a <laughs> But I will say I had some terrific mentors and um, 
one such mentor was John Rosso. And I remember my first year in this business, I made this crazy, isn't this a good idea? I moved to Denver, Colorado. I'm single. I have no connections and I'm going to get started in the business. And I started as an associate with Sandler. I have no connections. So I'm struggling. It's new. Selling to people like yourself, right? Uh, you're selling an intangible. It was very different than what I was selling before. And so he saw my frustration. And instead of giving me another, add a girl, you can do this. He said, okay, let's set a different goal for you. I said, okay, what's that? He goes, I want you to get to a hundred no's as fast as you can. Well, I could achieve that goal. <laughs> and then his next sentence, he said, because by the time you hear a hundred no's, you'll have heard every objection, every question, and every statement. And if you get coaching after every call, you will be on your way. And it immediately, it's called in the psychology world, reframing, Yes. It reframed my thinking. So then I was like, okay, if I got to know, I'm getting the lessons learned from this. And it, it was a game changer. That's just one small example of many. What's the biggest thing that's changed for your Vistage audience since the start of this pandemic? I know you work with lots of different clients, um, mm -hmm. but if you could just explain what is Vistage and, and how have you been involved in working with them over the years? So I've been a member as well as I'm a speaker for Vistage. And here's what's interesting. Um, that is the power of community, right? So this is a large, large organization. And what I've seen change is that most of these Vistage members, because they have learning cultures, because they are learners, they don't claim to be the part, smartest people in the room, the participants, that's why they get peer counseling. Most of what I'm hearing, Mark, there are companies that, yes, because of the industry, they're having to take some, you know, really slashes in the business. Most are making, as the popular term is, the pivots and the changes quite well. Right. And the other thing you hear from this group is optimism because they're seeing different ways of doing business. They are finding new avenues by which if they were a manufacturing company, they might have been manufacturing this and now they're manufacturing this. So overall, I think it's this good combination of reality testing. They're not in denial, but I see optimism that there is something good that is going to come out of this, one that will get there. I, I'm with you. So Colleen, last question. Based on your experience, what do you see as the most important skill that you think people should learn or improve today in this current environment that we're in? I have to go back, uh, Mark, to the uh, emotional self-awareness. I, uh, I really just believe, again, in that phrase, if you're not aware of it, you can't change it. If you're not aware of it, you're bound to repeat it. And so I, but I think the emotional self-awareness also requires some courage and it requires another EQ self-regard. The ability to admit, I've got a blind spot. I have uh, maybe a weakness. I need some help. I don't need to be the smartest guy or gal in the room. So I think when you combine self-regard, and that's the ability to admit strengths and weaknesses, but that comes from having the wherewithal to say, I'm okay with that. And so I, I think it still goes back to that EQ skill. And then there's a whole bunch of the hard skills we need to be applying, technical, financial, uh, production, all of those. But I think, what do I need to change? What do I need to do? What do I need to be starts with that. Well, Colleen, I want to wrap up with um, if people want to learn more about you and what you do or about some of the books, especially the newest book coming out, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? I just happen to have the book. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, so our website, uh, 
salesleadershipdevelopment.com, salesleadershipdevelopment.com. And we have all sorts of free resources there. Obviously, they can find the book there, pre-order, take advantage of some of our great uh, bonus tools prior to launching on June 16th. And I downloaded some of those bonus tools and shared it with our sales team. So, oh, good. Uh, yeah, and I can tell you that you've, um, you've sparked a conversation that um, is just getting started. I am really thrilled to hear that because I've seen sometimes bonus tools aren't bonus tools, and I don't think it's intentional, but we really did put a lot of work into it. So just to let your audience know, there's a uh, sales EQ and IQ hiring guide giving you some interview questions that may augment your process. We've got a salesperson EQ assessment that, so they can take an assessment to test some competencies and then a book study guide. So thank you. And uh, for the rest of our listeners who will be attending our S3 conference next year, we're very excited that Colleen will be coming back uh, for the appearance she didn't get to have in 2020 and yes. uh, help bring some of these ideas to life. Yes, and I'm looking forward to that. Great. Thanks so much, Colleen. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for joining us this week on Adapters Advantage, available on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you visit our website, alego.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. If you liked this show, you might want to check out our virtual training kit to learn how to keep a remote team running at full speed. Go to alego.com slash virtual to download your kit today. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And don't forget, one new idea can change your life.